Welcome to Homestead Story. We're Peter and Kristen. Join us as we share a new but old kind of family life. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Homestead Story. It's a cold December morning here on the Homestead. Yes, we we should call this podcast Coffee with Pete and Kristen. We we thought maybe we could podcast when the kids went to bed at night, but we realized we are not cool at night. We're really boring at yeah, night. Yeah, we are like done at night. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are over coffee. Cup of again. coffee and we get really interesting. Yeah, I have to be careful because sometimes after I have coffee, I send out all these emails to my friends and have all these ideas. And then by nighttime, I'm like, nope, just kidding. <laughs> it was the coffee, not me. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. So we've been doing a bunch of things around here. It's December, which you don't think of as planting time, but last week we planted potatoes and garlic because when you plant them under um, a whole bunch of wood chips, they'll just stay there nicely and start growing early in the spring. And so that's fun to get some things into the ground, even though we're going into winter. Yeah, I can't wait to have fresh garlic. I'm so excited about that. Yeah, those are both new things for us. We haven't done garlic or potatoes before, but we, are, we, are, we really want to get some more um, crops that will just make up a a bulk of calories for us and we love potatoes and they'll last into the winter so yeah potatoes are this year potatoes are a great carb so anyway well it's december and advent this year has been so so different so much more meaningful i guess than other advents it's been really neat with kids to talk about the whole nativity story and to have more context for it so your parents know this when you have kids then Christmas becomes magical all over again because you end up doing all of the stuff that you did as kids and then you get you get to be a young adult and an adult and it's like, well, it's not that much fun to do that stuff anymore. And then you see the kids get so excited about it. Yeah, well, it's fun to take the kids down to the barn and show them the manger because you're talking about baby Jesus being laid in a manger and to actually go down and see the manger that daddy made that the cows eat out of. And this is where Mary put baby Jesus and... It's just really, I don't know, it's just really special. This Advent has been, there's been some eye-opening things. I was kind of thinking about the Nativity story. And in the past, when I thought back to the, the Nativity story, it was this kind of great scandal that Mary and Joseph, there was no room for them in the inn, no room for this pregnant woman. And the king of the universe had to go and be born in this dirty, disgusting stable or whatever it was where the animals were kept and she put her baby in a dirty manger and it was this this great scandal but I'm coming to see it in a whole new light having a barn when when we go down to the barn at night it is just so incredibly peaceful the the chickens roosting on the on their roost I guess what is it called yeah the, the roost and the cows getting ready for bed <laughs> and the dogs settling down and the cats are just so quietly hunting and it's this peaceful experience and it is, it's the most peaceful part of the part of the whole day it's so it's down in the so barn nice. in the darkness and I realized like God knew what he was doing I mean I think there's a lot of meaning to Jesus being born in a in a stable you know he was born into poverty he wasn't this rich king he was born in silence but God knew what he was doing I mean I would hate to think of Mary in this crowded dirty inn with everyone complaining about taxes and all this sin going on and who knows what the drunkenness the you know whatever the lord knew i think i think god knew he wanted his son yeah imagine bethlehem in 
during a census, so it's packed full of people and just... Probably angry people, because they're being taxed. Yeah, and, and they were human. Yeah. Who knows what was going on? It generally means lots of bad things. <laughs> yeah. So, so I feel like the king of the universe was born, the prince of peace was born in this peaceful, and taken out of that that in environment and born in this peaceful environment amongst the animals, kind of away from everything that was going on, all that busyness and chaos. I'm realizing that is the perfect place for the Prince of Peace to be born. Yeah. God knew the perfect place. And also, if we're going to get scientific about it, I mean, there's been so many studies that show just how good it is for your immune system to be around dirt and, and animals. It's so good for children's immune system. So, hey, even on a physical level, Jesus was being exposed to all those things and helping out his immune system. Yeah, I think if I <laughs> had my funny. choice from, a, you know, a, a zero AD uh, <laughs> or BC, whatever, that time period, Bethlehem in mm-hmm. versus stable with, with quiet and peace for my wife to give birth, I think I'd, I'd go with the stable. Don't worry, we're not going to have our next baby in the barn. No, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we are crazy, but... We won't do that. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> All right. So we're going to bring, uh, this is going to be a little bit more of a practical episode. Mm-hmm. And we're, we want to talk about a lesson that we've learned in life, which has been a hard fought lesson for us and something that I wish I knew years ago because it would save me a whole lot of stress. And it goes something like this. We were pregnant. We found out we were pregnant. And then obviously that means nine months of preparing for a baby. So we do... What everyone pretty much in America does, which was buy a bunch of books and then you have the baby shower and you buy tons of stuff, like just just gobs of infant baby stuff. Plastic crap. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And then learn everything we could through, you know, books and blogs and, and however we could get information to prepare for this. And interesting enough is all that time spent preparing mostly had the effect of stressing us out and getting pretty anxious about all this. And you want the perfect delivery and everything has to be ready and perfect for the baby when the baby comes home. And um, and you end up with like 30 infant outfits, even though they're going to outgrow them in a month. I guess <laughs> means they could, they could wear a different one yeah, every it's like, day or Let's something. just start with the three to six uh, <laughs> yeah, month yeah. outfits. And and all of that like information overload and stuff overload just just led to a lot of anxiety. And then any parent knows this. By the time you have your second kid, you actually know how it works, and it's a much more peaceful experience. And you know like the things that you want to do as a parent, and all of you know you got rid of half the stuff that you never used in the first place. Well, I remember. I just have a vivid memory of having my newborn and not knowing what I was doing. And I was very, very sleep deprived. We had a very f- hard first baby who cried constantly and, um, you know, just didn't know what I was doing. And I had this infant book. I don't even know what it was called, but it was basically, I remember there was a chapter on giving a baby a bath and there was like 20 steps to giving the baby a bath. And I remember reading it and being so stressed out about this bath. You know, you have this like, I had this huge baby plastic baby bath that really took up half the bathroom and special towels and special washcloths. And they had all these steps. And then you realize, you know what? All I have to do is put water on the, wet the baby down and wash the baby off and rinse the baby off. It's not an ordeal. I don't need, I got rid of all the baby baths and I just Wash the baby. It wasn't a big deal. Right. You're like, if I do it wrong, the baby will drown or something. I know. Like, obviously, don't put the baby's head underwater. Use your common sense. Yeah. You'll figure it out. 
Yeah, but getting rid of that baby bath and having all that space in my closet was great. (laughs) Yeah. So today we're going to talk about something that people call analysis paralysis. Mm -hmm. And basically information overload, which leads to a whole bunch of stress, or you don't even do it, the thing that you're researching, because it just seems like it would be impossible. Yeah, the internet is great. We get a lot of our information from the internet, but... A lot of times when we say research, what we mean is reading hundreds of people's just opinions and experiences, and it really can just become so overwhelming that you don't want to do anything. Oh yeah, reading books, and I found out after reading a whole bunch of like how-to books that almost all of those how-to books must be written by super organized type A personalities, Mm -hmm. which makes sense because who else is going to write a how-to book, book, but um, that's not me, and oh my gosh, I feel like, you know, I'm learning about pick a subject and I have to do it just like this person who's super organized and super type A and has all the information and you just end up feeling overwhelmed by it. And it's like, if I don't do everything perfect, then, you know, something could go wrong. And um, yeah, so we're going to give a few examples of analysis paralysis that we've kind of gone through in homesteading, but I think this can apply to any decision, anything that you want to do in your life that's out of the ordinary. Right. So we decided we wanted to get chickens. So we do what you do in America when you want to get a new hobby, which is buy books and then buy stuff and then research a bunch of blogs. Yes. And oh my gosh, you talk about information overload. You get the chicken book and you find out like everything that could possibly go wrong with a chicken. Yeah. (laughs) It was intimidating to see these like, there was chapters on what can go wrong and with your chickens. And I'm not a veterinarian, so I'm like, what am I supposed to do with a, a sick chick? I mean, we were almost scared to get chickens because of everything we read. And the one thing that almost put me over the top was, I will admit, I have an irrational fear of head lice. <laughs> I, when I was, I think I was traumatized. I've never had head lice and none of my children have ever had head lice. But when I was going into ninth grade, in that time frame when you're really insecure and you want to have friends, I remember a good friend of mine got head lice and I was traumatized by what her family went through. They were, you know, disinfecting and cleaning everything and the the head lice kept coming back. So I was traumatized seeing the drama they went through. And then I was getting ready to go to high school when I found out she had head lice and she was a good friend of mine. So I was sure that I had head lice too. And my head was so itchy. And so I had... I had come up with a scenario in my head that I was going to go to high school and I I had head lice, even though we couldn't find them in my hair and I was going to give them to the whole school. And then for the rest of my high school career, I was going to be the girl (laughs) that gave everyone head lice and I would never have any friends. And so (laughs) I was traumatized by by the thought of head lice. And so when I read that chickens can carry head lice, I was like, you know what? Maybe this is not for us. You know, maybe we should not do this, but Again, when you think about, you can get head lice from the library. You can get head lice from visiting a friend. You can get head lice from going to camp or school or riding in an airplane or something. I don't. You can get head lice anywhere. So you can't. I'm not, I can't live in a head lice free risk bubble. But it oh, was. Yeah, wait, it was. I do have a funny story. The boys. We, we go to the library, and I. I have books that I get out on hold, and then I let them get whatever book they want. And last month they came home with this big, very graphic like 
Headlights children's book. <laughs> and I was so, I was sure that maybe God was preparing me. It was this kid's experience with headlights and what they did. And my head itched for like a week after that. I kept thinking that we were going to get headlights and I made them take the book. We had to take the book back. I so couldn't. Funny. I guess that's the book you get it. after to help your kids cope with headlights if you get headlights. Yeah, so I was so paranoid we were going to get headlights. But we have had chickens for two years and we have not had any headlights. I think that these. We haven't had any health issues in two years. Our chickens haven't had any problems. Which I've, I think is normal. We have done no intervention. Yeah. Yeah. But and if something goes wrong, and I'm sure something will eventually, then we can research what the cure is or what we're supposed to do to mitigate it. And or, that'll be fine. But there's no reason to learn all that stuff ahead of time. Yeah. It's kind of like if you were flying on an airplane or driving in a car and you researched everything that could go wrong, you wouldn't want to do it. Um, you wouldn't want to do anything. It was the same thing when I was trying to, I got my very first book on growing fruit trees and you go through the different cultivars of, of peaches and apples and it's so special. And then immediately, as many pages there are about the good stuff about apples, they had as many pages about everything that could go wrong with apples. And it's like all these like disgusting bugs and, and funguses. And, and you kind of think, you know, what's the point? What's the point? If it's going to be all this trouble, why should we even do it? Exactly. It seems like there's more that could go wrong than could go right. Right, but they need to fill a book. And some of the information is just wrong. So we got one of the chicken books that I had. It said, you don't want to, you only want to have one breed of chicken in your flock. So chickens are kind of like dogs and cats in the sense that there's a lot of different breeds. So they come in different colors and different attributes and different egg laying characteristics. And so they're all, there's lots of different breeds. And one of the books that I read said, you only want to have one breed of chickens. And so I thought, okay, so I'm going to research, I'm going to do my research and I'm going to find the best breed of chicken and I'm going to get all that kind. So I had this checklist and I had the best chicken with children and the best egg layer and the best for cold weather and the, I don't know what, I had a, che- a, a long checklist of chicken attributes. Oh yeah, and, which ones are most social and which ones fight the most and which ones are the most flighty and it's yeah, like all yeah. these different attributes. And- right. So I had this checklist and I decided from my research that I knew so much that the Osterlorp breed of chicken was the best chicken. That was what I had come up with. And the Osterlope chicken is just a black, all black chicken. And it fit, it had the most check marks in my, what I was looking for in a chicken. And so I go to the feed store and with my, I had four little boys at the time. And so I go there with this double stroller and I pull up to get my Osterlope chickens. You get them as little tiny peeps, little baby chicks. And um, they were all out of the Osterlope chicken. So I was kind of in a little panic because I hadn't, they had like a thousand other baby chicks there, but they didn't have any of the breeds that I knew about. So I'm staring. I think you called me on the phone when this was happening. You were like, there's no Ostrilarts. And you're like, what do we do? What do we do with a plan? What do we do? Our plan is, and I'm standing there with. We have this huge chicken plan and we we just, we dropped on step one. Yeah, I had all these. So I'm at the store, there's all these chicks and I have four kids with me and there's, I, I didn't know what to do because I hadn't researched these breeds of chicks. And this sweet lady came over to me, the worker, and she had a book and she's like, can I help you find a, a different kind? Look, this one's really pretty. And I have, she said, I love this breed of chicken. I have th- this chicken. And I thought, well, I remember to ask her, I said, are they good with children? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, it's a chicken. I don't, it's not going to, anyway, so. Right, it's I, not, yeah, it's not like a dinosaur. I, I ended up picking. <laughs> a dinosaur. I don't know what. Yeah. I, I meant what? to pick an animal that was bad with children. I said dinosaur. Anyway. I can't. <laughs> I'm sorry. I might not edit this. Um. 
I'm sorry, we're, this is going badly. Anyway, um, anyway, so she comes to me with this book and she encourages me to buy a different breed of chicken. So I buy, I buy a couple different breeds of chickens and I take them home. And two years later, we have 24 chickens and I found through experience that the Australorp breed, the one that I had to have, was my least, it's my least favorite. I mean, they're great chickens. No, I don't mean to be mean to the Australorps, but I prefer the more colorful ones. I like looking out and I like seeing an array of different breeds and there's no problem with having different breeds. They get along great. They're one flock and the Rhode Island Reds lay the best, the biggest eggs. So really through experience, so when I researched, I found one thing, but through experience, I found a completely different truth. I found that I love different breeds. I love the different colors and the Australorp, they're just completely black and they're just not my, they're not my favorite chicken. So yeah, I think that, you know, we grow up in the school system and do a whole bunch of research projects and gather a whole bunch of knowledge. And I think that it's easy for us to think that like, that's what you do mostly when you want to learn something is you gather knowledge and you, and you research stuff. And I think it's probably closer to like, you know, most of the information we have, probably 60 or 70% comes from experience. Mm-hmm. Experience is the best teacher. And then we fill in the gaps with, you know, 30 or 40% of what we do want to gain from experts who are on the subject. But if, if, if it's mostly coming through research, then it just starts to be stressful. You need some experience to really balance that out. Yeah, it's the same thing with even the herbs that I grew. So again, I spent the winter just reading about herbs and looking at different pictures and trying to think of what I wanted to grow. And again, it's the same thing. The ones that looked great in the pictures that seemed like the best herbs, some of them weren't my favorite. And then there were some surprise herbs that like yarrow, I, yarrow didn't look that great in the pictures. It didn't seem like the best herb. I grew it because I have some issues with varicose veins from my babies. And I read that the yarrow can help with circulation. So I grew some yarrow and that became my favorite herb because it blooms these pretty flowers from July. It's still blooming now after the frost in December. So I had no idea how much I was going to like yarrow until you, until you plant it, until you see it, until you smell it, until you use it. You just don't know from a book what your favorite's going to be. And also those books are all written from someone's opinion and your opinion might be totally different than someone else's opinion. It might work for them, but not for us. Yeah. It might work in their soil, but not your soil. And just because someone else thinks it's the most beautiful plant or the most beautiful flower or the best tasting fruit, that doesn't mean that you are. It doesn't mean that it's going to be your favorite. Totally. One of the things we ended up doing right with the chickens was we knew we were going to move soon. This was back at our, our old house and we knew we were going to move. So we didn't want to set up some big, huge, elaborate chicken coop. So when you get chickens, that's going to be the thing that takes the most time initially probably is building a chicken coop. So Again, you research all the different chicken coops and the options and how we're going to do it. And you can get, you know, pre-built chicken coops for, you know, large amounts of money delivered to your house or you can build it yourself. And we just decided, you know what, let's just slap something together. I literally made like 80% of it from stuff I found in the basement. I just, all the different pieces of scrap wood I had, I put together a chicken coop and, you know, I did enough research to figure out basically what they needed and enough to keep them safe and dry And then that was it. And that turned out to be great because by the time we wanted to have our established chicken coop, I had learned so much more about chickens. Like it was so much better in that case just to get into it, to learn a whole bunch. And then the thing that you want for the next 10 or 20 years 
now you have enough information to actually do it. Yeah, well, we're finding with homesteading, so we like to do things that are going to be permanent. What you are more like that. You like when you build something. I mean, I think that's the German in you. When you build something, you want it to last forever. Yeah. And you want it to be perfect and beautiful. But we're learning with homesteading that you don't know. You just don't know what you're going to want in in five, ten years. So temporary isn't the worst thing in the world to build no. something temporary. There's this really special farmer who, who's an author also called Joel Salentin. And he says, one of the things he says a lot is, don't make a fence permanent until it's been there three years. Because then you'll know if you really want it or not. Mm-hmm. You know, what, something people do with livestock is you immediately start putting up fences everywhere and you don't really know where you're going to want them. Mm-hmm. Like just get something up that's going to contain them. And then after you really get to know them and understand your property and how they fit on it, then you put up a nice expensive fence that's going to put a bunch, take a bunch of time. Yeah, exactly. I think that's been a hard lesson for you, learning temporary. <laughs> yeah, you have to let go and just basically come back to reality, which is I don't know much about this. I don't have any experience. Therefore, I can't have a permanent you know, final setup to it until I get that stuff first. Yeah. And that's what we're really saying is don't let all of this, you know, thinking that you have to have everything perfect stop you from just doing it and just mm-hmm. getting into it. Like if you're ready to take on a responsibility of animals, which everybody knows that means you have to take care of them every day and you have to be there for them. You can't neglect them. But if you're willing to do that, then just go for it. Yeah, just just do it and experience it and learn from, from even learn from your mistakes. That's one thing with homeschooling. I don't ever want my kids to be afraid of, I don't want them to ever do their work to please me. I don't want them to be trying to do it perfectly. I'm okay with mistakes because making mistakes is how you get to the better the better product or the better way that you want to do something is learning, learning through trial and error. Yeah, there's uh, something I'm trying right now for the first time is brewing my first batch of hard cider. And, you know, I got a, a, a couple years ago, I got a cider making book. It's a really, really nice book. And I learned, you know, I read the whole thing cover to cover and it it was impressive but it was also like wow there's so much to know here it's like super scientific you got to get hundreds of dollars in equipment everything else and I'll probably never do it if I have to do all of that stuff I don't even know if I like it uh so I was at the store and they had this nice organic cider in a gallon glass jar and I bought it and I brought it home and I got some wine yeast online and I threw the wine yeast in it and I didn't have an airlock so I just put a balloon over the top and it's now been fer- fermenting for a couple months. And it's like, I don't, you know, that's not how I would brew cider for forever, but it'll work for the first time. I'll get some experience. And it took me 10 minutes. Well, we don't, do we know it's going to work for the first might time? It might not work. It might be disgusting. Like but some of your work. other experimentals, <laughs> I will not try your watermelon wine or your mead from the honey. I don't know. Was that mead good? No, it was okay. terrible. <laughs> We make a lot of mistakes, but you'll learn. You'll get there. Yeah, the alternative was doing nothing, so why not give it a try? Yeah, exactly. So we did eventually learn this lesson more as we've gone through our life, and it came time that we decided we wanted to get cows. Um, So Kristen went on Craigslist. Well, actually, I... A friend, I said, I actually prayed a prayer. We were kind of thinking, let's maybe we should get cows. And then I was like, all right, God, I want you to send send the cow to us. Like, I don't know. I don't want to go seeking it out yet. I'm not quite ready. And then a friend emailed me like a couple hours later, a Craigslist ad for a dairy cow. 
So we went and checked out the dairy cow. We went and checked out the dairy cow. Now that is like one of the first lessons learned is when you want to do something, when we want to do something and it's a little bit more complex, go and see it done. Mm -hmm. And then it doesn't seem so complex. And it's like, oh, there's a cow. They have a fence. They, you know, feed it hay or whatever. So what we did, we went to visit. So we saw the ad on Craigslist. We drove to this little five-acre homestead. And we to this day do not know what these people were. They were the sweetest, kindest people. They looked to Amish. They had a well and an outhouse. They didn't have any running water. We don't know if they were Amish or... Yeah, I don't, we don't know what they were. We don't know. But Super sweet they people. They were wonderful people. And the woman, the girl who had the dairy cow that they were selling, she said to me something that really just... You know when sometimes someone says something to you and it just sticks with you forever? She said this one sentence to me. Um, at this point, Pete and I, we were just looking at the cow. We, we still weren't sure that we were going to go for it. And she said, homesteading is is wonderful. Once you get a taste for it, you won't want to go back. But she said, you have to do it. You can't just talk about it. You have to actually do it. And it's really easy to just talk about your dreams. It's really easy to... Well, with the internet, it's super easy to get loads of information. I mean, you can watch YouTube videos all day long about how to do something and learn so much about it and never do it. Yeah. And in the end, you can't just talk about it. You can't just dream about it. You have to actually put one foot in front of the other and just do it. And I think be ready to fail. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing is as, um, as a software engineer, I, I just know something. I, I, I heard the quote from this guy, Phil Ritter, who's a scientist who does breeding work on hazelnuts and chestnuts. And he said, whenever you do a project for the very first time, that's just when you learn how to do everything you didn't know. You know, you make a whole bunch of mistakes. As a software engineer, I know that. I'm building programs that no one is quite sure what they're supposed to do. And you just get in, you start building it, and you do a whole bunch of stuff wrong. And then you iterate on that, and you learn, and you do it better. And I think that, again, maybe this is something that gets worked into us the wrong way from from the education system, is you're not supposed to make a mistake. Like, you're supposed to get 100% correct. And if you do that, you've done the right thing. And I think that's okay for some some minds. Like, you do not want your doctor... I want my doctor to get a 100% when he's operating on me. Right, <laughs> you right. Know? So I think there are some fields and some some ways of... Some some minds that need that. But there are Definitely. other... Yeah, and, but the way most of life works is you try and you get some things right. Mm-hmm. And that's great because then you have something to work with and a foundation to build off. And then you try again and you try again until you get it 100% right. And you don't get there till you have a whole bunch of experience and, um, and have tried things. And it's almost like there never is 100%. You can always make something even better than it was before. Right. Yeah. So, so when we went, so we went to visit this cow at this Amish or something homestead. And we had never even touched a cow. We had never even milked a cow. So they kind of showed us how to milk a cow. And in the end, those people, they were wonderful, but they decided they just could not part with their dairy cow. I think there's a real bond that comes with your dairy cow. And they were planning to get rid of her. And then they just, they said, we just can't, we can't do it. We can't part with her. Yeah, and, it does. It becomes a special relationship when you're, yeah. when you're, you know, spending a bunch of time milking that cow every day and getting really close to it. Yeah. So we, you know, there were no hard feelings, but then shortly after that, there was a friend who had a friend who <laughs> came from a family of 12 kids. They were this awesome Catholic family and they started doing dairy cows a few years ago and really 
got into it. What did, what did they have? Like 20 some cows? Yeah, they had a whole bunch. Yeah. I don't know how many. And they were awesome. So we drove up. They, they had a cow that they were willing to part with. And so they wanted us to come up. They said, you know, we don't want you to just get cold feet. We want you to come and see it. We want you to try milking the cow and see if it's something you want to do. Yeah, they weren't going to sell us a cow over the phone, right. which makes a lot of sense. They right. wanted, you know, it's almost like an interview if you're going to give this this really special animal to a family. Yeah. And they wanted us to, to see how they did things, which was brilliant. We really needed to see that. Yeah, so we drove up there. They were about three hours away. And they showed us the, the how they milk the cow, and we had dinner with them and just talked with them, and it was just, it was so much fun. It yeah, was and great. what was really neat then is that was the second experience we had with seeing people and how they raised their dairy cows, and they were totally different from each other. Mm-hmm. And we got to see that there, there's these two completely different variations of how people are doing it, and they're both really good, and that's what worked for those particular families. And it was like we got to pick and choose different pieces from each one that we wanted to do. Right. And it was so neat having actual personal contact. So after we bought the dairy cow, we were able to call him when we had questions. And I called him a few times that week. He called me to check up on us and see how we were doing. And it was so great to have an actual person that we could really talk to and ask questions. And really, they they had the idea of the calf. You should share about that. Because yeah, we were- that was not something... That I've, I, they had advice for us that I did not find in any of our research. So, and this has really changed the way that we do. Changed, I guess we didn't do anything differently, but this has really helped the way that we've done our dairy cow. So we were pretty intimidated by getting one cow. It was not in our mind at all to get two. Um, but after we had agreed with the farmer to get a dairy cow from him, he called me a couple of days later and he said, "You know, I really think." we should send the calf too. And I know that that'll be more money, but I think it'll make it a whole lot easier for you. And I said, well, why? And he said, well, you know, cows are herd animals. It probably doesn't want to just be alone. And even bigger than that is the cow is still nursing from the mom. So if it takes you a little while to learn how to milk the cow and get all of the milk out of it, you don't have to worry about that because the calf is just going to take the rest. This turned out to be so nice. Yeah. I mean, the cow came and she's at a new home and she doesn't know where she is and she's separated from her herd, but she has her calf with her. And I think that brought a lot of stability right from the start. And then sure enough, learning how to milk a cow was pretty intimidating and hard. And I did it wrong for a while and it was really hard to get all the milk out. And even just to get the cow situated and and know how we were going to do it. And I never had to stress that this was something that was going to hurt the cow because the calf just took the rest of the milk every time. It right. made the whole experience well, more peaceful. Yeah, because if you don't clear out the cow, there is risk of mastitis, of her getting mastitis. So having that calf there to clear her out is great. And the best part about it is most people milk their cow in the morning and in the evening, and we only milk our cow in the morning. And we get two gallons of milk a day, so we don't need any more. But it's just nice that the calf nurses and gets everything else in the evening so we only have to milk once a day so i yeah at this point i don't think i would even consider having a milking cow without a calf to go with it yeah it not is, that other people don't do that but i think it's, it's less easier. work it sounds more intimidating to have two cows i think it's far less work to have a mom and a calf it's far less work because it's less milking for you and they just have the company it's just so much better yeah so we got the cows and then i ordered a couple books on cattle and it was great because one of the books I got, um, 
was a good book, but it was like so intense. Like you have to do it this way and you have to do it this way and you have to do it this way. And as I was reading that book, I was disregarding 60% of what it said. Mm -hmm. There was still some really good information in there and I'm glad I got the book and I got to do my research. But now I was able to understand like some of this I can apply and then a lot of it I don't even have to worry about or think about. Right. Yeah. And it's almost better to get the books after you have the animals, honestly, just because if you had read that book on cows before we got cows and you, you didn't know what you could disregard, you, you didn't know what was important yeah. and what wasn't important. Start with enough information to just do it and probably not anymore. Yeah, exactly. Just don't let analysis paralysis stop you from living out your dreams because when you read everyone's opinions, you don't know if what they're saying is even credible. Didn't you have a friend who would just write random things on the internet? Oh, yeah, reviews? he thought it was funny to write blog posts and reviews and stuff and make them up entirely because he just thought that was hilarious. Right. You just don't know what people are writing. You don't know what their experience is. You just don't want to read hundreds of people's bad experiences or you really won't want to do anything. Yeah. If you want to grow a fruit tree, I would recommend go to the store, don't read a thing, buy a fruit tree and stick it in the ground. Yeah. Worst comes to worst, it dies and you're going to learn a whole bunch. Yeah, but exactly. But most plants want to grow. That's, you know, they're pretty good at it. So it'll probably live anyway. But just get some of that information. It's not worth being stressed out about and it's not worth not doing just because there's so many things that could go wrong. Yeah, exactly. So if in your heart you feel like you want to go do something out of the ordinary, just go do it. And the worst that could happen is you fail and <laughs> you learn. Well, that's it for today. And we hope you have a wonderful Advent and a wonderful Christmas. Happy Advent, everyone. Bye-bye.